thank you, Michael Babby, for joining us here on the Regional Football Hub. We're certainly glad to uh, have you involved on our panel tonight. Um, it's certainly good to see you in person rather than just beating you. I mean, um, playing you on, on FIFA, um, as we have done a couple of times. But welcome. And if you could just give us a brief rundown of your history in the game from when you're a, a wee little tacker running around on some small fields to now coaching big kids on much bigger fields. Yeah, boys, thanks uh, first and foremost for having me. Uh, great opportunity to talk about regional football. Uh, also, thanks very much for the initiative. Uh, we need more of a spotlight on uh, regional football and uh, what it brings to the, the game as a whole. Uh, for myself, I've been involved in football now for 43 years. I uh, started playing at the age of five, uh, still playing fourth grade last year. Uh, came through the ranks in Brisbane as a rep player, played for my state as a youngster. Uh, had an MPL career over 12 years, uh, across four or five different clubs in two states. Uh, had a little stint in a uh, NSL squad back in the day. Um, started coaching about 20 years ago. Had my first uh, two years as an assistant coach at an MPL2 side, uh, then took over as the head coach of the MPL side. Um, since then, I've coached girls' teams, I've coached mini-roos, I've coached academies, uh, head coach currently at Wagga City Wanderers, uh, still involved with the SAP um, teams. Been fortunate enough uh, the last two years to be involved with TSP and Country New South Wales. Um, and uh, really, uh, after 20 years of coaching, I think I've, I've learned more in the last two years than I have uh, in the previous 18. Great. Uh, you look very little different to us. I mean, we're non-essential workers and you're still deemed an essential worker out there working, um, yeah. which, I'm, which I'm sure is good. Um, but we, I stole this photo as you from the uh, paper at Wagga Wagga, so I'm sure you can see that. My question is, under, underneath that, um, given that you're combining working and then coaching and you're doing a lot of teams, so there's a lot of football activity, do you need to hide your uh, coaching attire under your surgeon outfit just in case um, you don't have enough time between working and getting to football? Or how do you manage juggling working and also the football activities that you do? Yeah, look... Um there's a lot of competing uh, interests for your time. It's very hard to fit it all in. Um, quite often, it's straight from the operating theatre to, to the training field. Um, and sometimes, occasionally, I'm late, um, which is why you have assistant coaches to get it started for you. Um, but, yeah, more often than not, there's no time between um, finishing work uh, and getting to the training field uh, just means you have to be pretty well organized um, you know make sure that you're well fed and well hydrated before you you know you don't have time to go home and grab a bite or grab a drink um, make sure that um, you're not thinking about your session that you want to run as you're running out of your workplace that needs to all be done uh, before you go to work that day um, I guess Oh, yeah. oh, sorry. Go on, Fernley. There you go. So I guess your job is pretty full on and when you are at work. So why would you get involved in football outside of work? What do you think the benefits are of that? Oh, look, if I was answering that um, 
I've been involved for 43 years. Um, I've think team sports are really important for development um, uh, for young people, um, understanding what it means to be in a team and have a role within a team. Um, I still coach because I believe I've got a lot to offer. I've been passionate about football for a long time. Um, and I think uh, the day I, I think I've got nothing to offer um, or I can't help make players better players and that's that's the goal of coaching I think it's about the players and trying to make them better players uh, is when I'll stop coaching uh, but I think also um, there's life lessons you know you're influencing young people young men um, kids um, and you know I've led a, an interesting life and I think I, I can be a positive influence in those lives so for me, I've got, a, I've got a fantastic wife who supports the fact that my life is football, football, football. Um, mm. and football was my, is essentially my job. But then there's always extra things around football on weekends and nights. You know, it's constant. So she's fantastic. But what do you need in your space? I mean, to be able to deal with work, the amount of football that you do, how do you balance that? What sacrifices do you have to make to be able to do both? what helps you yeah yeah definitely uh, an understanding wife that's critical um, kids um, that understand that too both my kids play soccer and they understand that I'm away a lot um, coaching um, weekends uh, it's a balance because um, my wife works after hours a lot so um, having babysitters for the kids if I'm at the training park uh, or if I'm at the football field while she's working um, and try, trying to fit everything in is, is not easy. Um, but having a clear direction uh, in what you need to achieve in that week. Um, and um, I'm pretty fortunate with the work I do. I get time at work to be thinking about football. Um, one of the key things is making sure when I am home, there is home time. There is time with the family. Um, if we have time away from sport on a weekend, we make sure we do family stuff together. That's really important to make sure you have that family time. Um, so um, sacrifices are, look, there's lots of other sports. I'd love to play golf a bit more, but I can't do that if I'm coaching. Um, I don't know why you want to do that anyway. <laughs> I've always been uh, into lots of different sports. Um, but, you know, you just... Um, you pick what's important, I guess, and you focus on the important things. Um, certainly uh, making sure there's time for the kids. Um, so um, when I'm home, um, it's time with the kids or time with the wife. That's really, really important. So I guess what you're saying is um, planning is pretty important around your session so that it's not a case of getting to training, whether you're on time or, you know, in a rush the preparation of what you want to do at training is pretty important for someone who isn't going to have that opportunity throughout the week, oh, days, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, um, I think every session you've got to have two key things. You've got to have a purpose and understand what it is that you want to get out of that session and you've got to have a process. Um, and so um, it's really important to make sure that you've, you've thought about the purpose of each session well before the session. Um, you know, as soon as you finish the game on Sunday, you're thinking about, okay, what do we need to do at training this week? Um, what was our football problem on the weekend? Um, and then 
through your process, you're able to design um, sessions that uh, can hopefully um, help fix that problem. So obviously you'd be working, I'm guessing, 40 plus hours a week and then it's not just you coaching a, a senior team. You're involved with TSP on Monday nights, twice a week training the senior team, probably floating around helping coach your, your kids' teams plus the, the games on the, um, on the weekend. You, you speak about burnout and sort of wear and tear on players as well as coaches. Uh, personally, I know you've been coaching for a few years and you went through a little little stage where you know, you, you burn out a little bit, um, got the chance to go to national youth championships and, and see a different aspect, I suppose, of football. And it sort of gave you a light bulb moment and got you right back into it. Um, and can you just explain a little bit about sort of that process? Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, after two years of coaching senior football um, and having a year with a, a young academy team, so three years of lots of football, lots of different teams, um, I was feeling a bit fatigued. Um, as you talked about, the burnout was starting to kick in, um, but got invited to come away as part of country New South Wales. Um, and I think the professionalism in the environment, um, working with um, someone I'd call a mentor now, um, being part of the setup, um, having the opportunity to have a week and a bit um, in full-time football where, you know, we're with the kids, we're uh, providing them hopefully the experience of what it's like to be a full-time football, but that that's not just for them. That's for us as well. It's the experience of what it's like to be a full-time coach. Um, it certainly motivates you. Um, and it also helps you understand from my perspective that, you know, there's still more growth in the game for me. Um, I'm, I'm still, even though I've been doing this for a while, I'm still learning and developing. Um, and, and that in itself um, is pretty motivating. And you say, obviously, it's a pathway to develop players, but also to develop coaches as well. Is there anything that you've gone away, obviously, the last two years you've been involved in camps and, and gone mm. to the, the championships in Coffs Harbour? Is there things that you've sort of gone away, learnt, and then actually brought back into the regional area that um, you put in place with the teams within the Walker City Wanderers sort of set up? Yeah, I think the importance of process. Um, you know, with those players, we have a very short time. We have a lot of players. Um, we have a style of football that we want to play. Um, but each of the sessions that are put on by the head coaches um, clearly have a process of how they want to get their players playing. Uh, and you watch those players grow from when they first come into their camp to over the course of the camp, and you start to really understand the importance of the process, um, as well as the clarity of the message, uh, the communication with the players. And then, um, so I think for me over the last two years, it's really impacted the way I coach. Um, I think um, my sessions have improved um, drastically over the last couple of years, I would say. And I liken it to a, a university student. You know, you do your, your first year and if you go back at the end of your third or your fourth year and you look at that first assignment you put in, you went, wow, I was a bit of a numpty. But then over the three or four years, you go, actually, I've learned how to, to write. I've learned how to present an assignment and uh, the work I'm putting out now is much better than when I first started. Yep. I guess you talk about style of play there, Babs. What is your football philosophy and who shaped that? 
Well, I, I, I'd like to think it's Arsene Wenger. I, I, I like my teams to, to play football. I've always been a, a ball player when I was a player, um, a passer of the ball. Um, and I, I like my players to be very comfortable on the ball. Um, so my style is that everyone plays. Um, I don't like players just, uh, you know, kicking the ball along. Um, I like everyone to be comfortable and wherever they are on the puck, be it in the final third or the back third, they're comfortable to bring the ball down and find a pass and see if we can play our way through the opposition. Um, I like intelligent players. Um, you know, I'm big on giving players freedom. I don't believe one way fits everything. You can't press for 90 minutes. You can't just think, okay, we're going to play out from the back all the time. Players need to be able to see what's in front of them and not be restricted. So, um, you know, it's about, okay, our philosophy as much as possible because we want to control the game uh, is, yeah, we'll play out from the back. But if you have the opportunity to play through the lines and play a 40-yard pass to a player in space, why wouldn't you do that? And um, players knowing that, um, you know, or being able to understand when to slow the game down, when to speed it up. Okay, we've got a disorganised back line. We can go quickly. Actually, no, we can't go quickly. Um, so my philosophy is about football intelligence and um, trying to create um, better decision makers. So does the level that you're coaching at, all the age groups, I mean, you cover SAP kids, youth players, and also now men's players. So does the different levels you're at influence whether your philosophies what you can implement or do you stick true to your philosophy regardless of the difference of the three or have you come oh, across uh, that challenge as yet yeah you know i've come across that challenge i think what i change so the philosophy is the philosophy um it's what you're working towards um so i don't think you can change that based on the level of the player i think what you do do is you um change your expectations of the player's delivery of the philosophy. Um, so if I'm working with the first graders, so my expectation is that they'll understand it and be able to execute it um, a lot quicker than my SAP team. Um, and I, I think that's the main thing is having the expect, the re realistic expectation. It doesn't matter what your football philosophy is. Um, if you're coaching Barcelona, uh, it's a lot easier to bring that football philosophy to life um, than it is um, if Liverpool? you're coaching in Liverpool, maybe, yeah. <laughs> they just want you to kick it long and chase it. Um, so, you know, um, I think... So, I, yeah, the football philosophy that you have is who you are, mm -hmm. I think. Um, and what it does do, but it gives you a purpose. You know, I talked about having a purpose for your session. Um, what does uh, for me over the course of the year um, is how I, I assess the success of that. Um, so at the start of the year uh, with each group and each group brings different strengths um, and weaknesses is um, how have we as, as a group over the course of the year been able to deliver on that philosophy. So in youth football, like 100%, you have, if you're in a good environment, yeah. You have some free reign to really influence player individual behaviours or how you want them to play. Um, yeah. more, more so when you're in senior football, again, mainly from my experiences. Um, 
and generally in senior football the way that it's tailored, results is a is probably a bigger burden on clubs and coaches. Do you think the current results or the results that may be needed from your club, so first grade men, mm-hmm. for example, mm-hmm. how do you think that could impact on your philosophy? Uh, for me, it, it doesn't. Um, I, I think it's interesting. I hear this thing, you know, about senior football and junior football and uh, at senior football, you're required to get results. That's how you're judged. Um, anyone who's coached a junior team very much knows that whether they like it or not, the parents want results. If their kids are losing every week, they're not happy. You might be focused on the development of the kids and that's what you want um, over the course of the year and you look at how your team plays and have those kids growing in the year. Are they better footballers for their year with you? That might be how you assess uh, success with the kids. Uh, but I, I've not coached a team where the parents are, um, you know, wanting success or winning football. Um, so I think the pressures are just slightly different. Um, but I think... You know, your philosophy is how you believe the game should be played and how you believe you can get the best outcomes in a game of football. And I don't think, you know, that changes who you're coaching or where you're coaching. I think the outcomes change, but I don't think, um, you know, I've been watching football now for a long, long time and I've still not seen uh, a style of football that has made me think, oh, my, my philosophy is not the way I want my team to play. Fair uh, mentoring, we spoke the other day on our panel about mentoring. Um, do you have a mentor? Have you thought about mentoring in, that you've had in the past or something that you want to gain going forward um, for you coaching-wise? Is it harder in the country? Is it the same? Is it different? Or what's your thoughts? I think it's absolutely harder in the country. Um, there's less options for mentors. Um, you know, um, there's distance issues. Um, there's availability issues. Um, so I think having a a real true mentor is harder. Um, I think the most important thing about a mentor is the honesty. Uh, you need someone who can give you uh, appropriate feedback not just tell you what you want to hear. If that's not happening, then they're not really mentoring you. Uh, I'd say at the moment, um, you know, you and I have lots of great discussions about football and you're probably the closest thing I have to a mentor at the moment. Um, but unfortunately, you live in Bathurst and I'm in Wagga, so I can't just say, hey, look, I'm struggling to play out at the back. Can you come, come and have a look on the weekend and tell me what we can do? Um, or provide me, you know, come and watch a session and, and give me some feedback on a session. Um, so our... Our opportunities for real proper interactive uh, mentoring are limited. Um, hopefully this year, Andrew Mason, as our club TD, um, will be able to provide some some mentoring. Uh, but um, you know, the last six weeks have been difficult for anything football wise. Yeah. What I would say about isolation, what we've um, been forced into, I guess, is technology. Um, Mm-hmm. So where I'm going in that is going forward, we, we probably need to take more ownership about using technology like Zoom meetings to you know reach out to coaches and, and also just videoing sessions, be willing to share those kind of videos where um, we can help. So that's certainly something for me when we go back into football, um, something to explore a lot more. Um, 
Yeah, and I think I think what's really important that you just hit on there. There's a word that you used about sharing. Um, I don't think coaches do enough sharing. Um, we're all in this together, and, and our our goal is making better players. So coaches who hide the information or this is my way and don't share, I, I just don't understand that. You know, that's but you see that a lot. You see, yeah. you see that a lot. Sadly. Yeah. So we've touched on Babs. Obviously, you're coaching um, senior men's team this year in the MPL two and capital football, as well as a under twelve SAP team. How do you plan prepare for the differences in in those levels or age groups, and um, how important do you think it is coming through as a, a younger player under twelve as Wagga City Wanderers player where you're coaching, mm-hmm. looking up to the senior players in that regional area? Yeah, look, I think one of my observations of the last um, 10, maybe 15 years in football is uh, the link between junior and senior clubs seems to be diminishing. I think it's really important that at every club I've been at, I try to create a link between the senior club and the junior club. And, you know, you, you want junior players who hopefully go on to big and amazing things, but the majority won't do that. And you want them to one day have the goal of playing for that club you know, um, to become a senior player. Um, I think it's really important for senior players to take an interest in the junior setup. Uh, I know at the Wagga City Wanderers, we have lots of our senior players who are SAP and academy coaches or assistant coaches. I think that's really important that the kids know who the senior players are. Um, So I just think that every club, there needs to be a link. Um, and I think clubs need to understand that their football club is not just their little team. Um, one of the things we've tried to make happen this year, but coronavirus hit, that I think was really important for us as a club. Uh, we wanted to get a full team club with SAP, Academy, girls and men's um, all together in the one big photo so everyone understands they're part of a bigger thing. Um, and um, take pride, you know, the kids, I, I have a lot of chats with my senior players about the kids and the fact that the kids live in their track suits, live in their wonder shirts. You see kids all the time walking around the street, um, you know, that take a lot of pride in their get-up and the fact that they are a Wagga City Wanderer. Um, and I think it's really important for the senior players to understand that they are role models, that these kids um, look up to them, you know, and. We, we um, I always say to my first team players, every first team that I've ever coached, is that we have a responsibility to give our junior club a team that they can be proud of. Um, so the way we conduct ourselves and the football that we play, um, you know, we want the wider Wagga City Wanderers community to, to be going, wow, that's our team. Yep. You look at, obviously, under-12s level to senior level and obviously you're going to be coaching different things and it's probably a little bit more tactical at the senior level and going off problems that you've, um, you know, faced on the weekend. Do you find that you're still coaching at a senior level some of the things you are coaching at a, a SAP level, obviously because it's a regional area and some kids haven't came through the process, I suppose, or, or learnt everything from a young age due to sort of limited resources and things in the country areas? Yeah, absolutely. And that was one of my motivations for um, being involved with the kids or the, the academy and the SAP players. Um, 
found it very concerning that I was coaching first graders who um, hadn't learned things that I learned as a 13 year old. Um, how do you fix that? Well, you go back and coach the 13 year olds and the 12 year olds. Um, the last two years I've coached academy um, and um, one of the issues I found, I'm getting players come out of academy that can't possible. So how do you fix that? You go back and you coach that. Um, so, um, yeah, I think it's, yeah. Has that answered your question? Yeah, yeah, I understand. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think basically where we're at is obviously the regional areas. It's just it's harder to have access to all the coach education, technology, etc., to to build a, a profile of qualified coaches because I suppose a lot of them, like you say, are working full time and maybe are a little bit time poor to be able to really dedicate themselves. And I think hats off to yourself for being able to manage a full-time job and, and put so much time and effort into wanting to develop not just under 12s and junior players, but um, senior players in the country area as well. So, no, Yeah, just, I think, you mentioned I think the about, other... Yeah. You mentioned yeah. there about uh, going back to help the next generation. What, what are you, what's your thoughts around the, the current generation of players that may have come out of the academy? that are 18, 19, that probably lack some technical qualities that you're trying to install in the next group of 13, 14-year-olds. How would you modify that in the senior space? I mean, we're going to concentrate more on some skill acts sessions. Do you think that's something that would help coaches that are in that space to, to work with the yeah, players yeah. that are currently there? Look, it's interesting, and Arsene Wenger used to have a saying, if a kid doesn't have it by the age of 13, they're not going to get it. Um, I don't think the current crop of 18 or 19-year-olds have done enough work away from the training paddock. Um, I, I think what I see, and I think this is across Australian sport, I don't think this is just across football. Like if you look at our rugby teams, not as good as it used to be. Our cricket team's not as good as it used to be. Generally, as athletes... I see Australians are not as athletic as they used to be. I don't think there's enough desire in um, the kids coming through at the moment. Um, and, um, you know, it's nice that you can go and have your hour and a half or three hours a week with a coach. It's nice that your parents can pay for you to go and have a one-on-one -on -one session. But what really makes the difference is what kids do themselves at home, doing the homework, oh, I call it, you know. Um, if you're not prepared to go and do that work, kick a ball against the fence, kick a ball with your friend, spend time with the ball, um, you're not going to get better. Um, and, you know, it doesn't take genius to get better. It just takes the desire to get better. If you really want to get better and you're prepared to go and spend an hour a day kicking a ball with your friend or against the fence, you're going to get better. Um, I think the loss of, and we, we read a lot about this at the moment and we hear it, but football clubs used to be, the centre of our community. Um, you know, I know for me, I grew up in the Croatian community and my dad spent hours at the Croatian community while he was there. I was out in the field kicking the ball with the other kids. Um, I don't think we do that. Kids come now, they have their game, they go home. Um, they don't stay around the football club. Um, I know for me on Sunday mornings, um, you know, my dad was a first grade coach. Um, I would be there in the morning and I would be at the football field for five, six hours kicking a football, watching first grade play. We don't, kids don't do that anymore. Um, 
back to the work and football side of things, obviously you travel a fair bit, whether it's to Canberra for Wanderers or to country camps, potentially weeks at a time. How does that all fit in with work and what sacrifice do you have to make to be able to do that? So in my line of work, um, there's lots of overtime that I miss out on. Uh, there's lots of on-call. Um, so there is a financial loss. Um, you know, if I'm travelling away, I can't put myself down on call. I can't do the overtime that um, is available to me. Um, so there's the financial loss. Um, the other big loss is the education. So in, in healthcare, if you're a healthcare worker, it's continual education. Um, you don't, you know, there's all new things, new technology, um, continual learning. Uh, the time that I spend around football uh, limits my ability to keep up with and progress with um, technology and, and work. Um, so you make sacrifices, but if I didn't love football, I would do that. What, uh, what sacrifices are there on the, other, on the other side in terms of, um, you know, family and I guess probably uh, the need to use leave to be able to do football at different times, especially, you know, in the, you know, the country camps are something that I know you've had to do in the past. How does that um, work out? Yeah, look, um, you know, and I, I look at the last two years, I've done futsal nationals, I've done country camps, I've done NTC. Uh, which means instead of having a month holiday with my family and being able to go away with them, uh, I've used up three weeks of my annual leave um, for football activities. Um, so, you know, the family has been limited in what we can and can't do. Um, so that's a sacrifice on their, their behalf. Um, so, you know, also... Those things that we talked about uh, during school holidays, um, which is when normally you would be doing things with family. So, um, you know, school holidays, instead of being with family, I'm, I'm off doing football things. So my, my family um, sacrifices probably more than I do um, in that respect. You mentioned about country teams a few times and we've spoken about it. Um, having been at the last two national championships, what observations have you had around the regional players and teams good and bad um, what, what have you seen uh, look first and foremost good um, the regional teams and the way they conduct themselves we can be really proud of the kids from the country um, they certainly hold themselves quite well um, yeah from a footballing perspective um, look there's lots of good talented kids uh, we lack a bit of depth our squads are not nearly uh, deep enough to compete with the Metro kids. Um, our kids lack the intensity that the Metro kids do. For them, it's a bit of a surprise and all of a sudden they've come to this tournament where they've got to lift their game to a level that they're not used to playing week in, week out, um, intensity-wise. Um, and <laughs> Liam and I had this conversation the other day about arrogance uh, the Metro kids turn up with an arrogance. They know they're good. They believe they're good. They believe they, they belong there. Um, our kids, um, I haven't come across too many of them who really believe they, they belong there the same way that the Metro kids do. Well, I guess one thing that's common throughout this is we talk about players that you may have enjoyed watching growing up or still watching mm -hmm. now. Who are yeah. some players that 
you really enjoyed watching maybe one or two as you're growing up and now yeah yeah okay um so when we had a bit of time to think about this since we talked about it. So uh, one of my real favourite players that uh, was a guy by the name of Redondo, played for Real Madrid, uh, Argentinian player, um, just an amazing passer and dribbler of the ball. Um, so I think he was um, someone who really impacted me. I, I just Every time I watched him play, I just thought he was incredibly special. Uh, and then another guy who... Um, had a big impact on me because I think what he brought to English football was amazing. Was uh, Dennis Burkamp? Um, you know, he was a special footballer to watch. And if you just go back and watch his killer passes and his goals, um, I think he changed um, English football. Um, and uh, I think he was just really special for Arsenal at football club. I think he made a really big difference and had a big impact on Arsenal and the way they played under Arsene Wenger. Defenders? Defenders, uh, look, Maldini uh, for me is probably just incredible, uh, the length of his career and how good he was over his uh, whole career. Um, Ronald Koeman, um, there's a guy that could impact a game, you know, have we ever seen a better striker of a football than, than Koeman? I'm not sure. Um, look, I think uh, I, I love Ramos um, and PK, um, two, two amazing defenders over a long period of time. Again, again, long established careers. Both have won a lot of trophies. Uh, so for me, uh, pretty happy with those guys. And wide defenders, some- Roberto... Yeah, wide defenders, Roberto Carlos. Yeah. Yeah. Magic. Magic. Uh, what, what could you, in the next five seconds, think mm-hmm. of that would change regional football development going forward? Opportunities. Opportunities for coaches, opportunities for players. Um, there's not enough coach education in the country. Um, and most coaches have to travel to get that education. Um, better coaches make better players. Um, TSP is really important in the TSP game days. Um, the kids need the opportunity to see where they're at. You know, they can in their little fish pond they can be a big player, but when they go to TSP, they get found out and understand that actually they've got a lot of work to do if they really want to make it. What advice do you have for young regional players going forward? Uh, work hard, do the homework. Um, you know, it doesn't it doesn't just happen. Um, if you want to really make it, you've got to put the work in, and that's not just in football; that's in life. Um, it's not good enough just coming to your training sessions. You've got to turn up to your training sessions. You've got to think of every training session as an opportunity to improve, to improve your skill uh, level to improve your understanding of the game. Uh, be at the training session. Don't just turn up and be there with your mates. You're not there to have fun and joke around. Um, there is time for that, but when you're in the session, you need to be in the session. I mean, I found, I found that. I mean, you can tell uh, the players in the past that have, have gone on and we're, we're interviewing some of those right now. What you could tell about them when they were younger was, was their presence for stealing your word there. Um, when they were training, it was they wanted to be there. They they really inserted themselves in it, and they were there to improve. And you know, you can see from other players that they love going to training. I mean, 
they're not a household bear training, but they're a passenger. And yeah. I, I, for me, I found that to be a, a big difference of determining, you know, which players can go on, whether that's sort of character or, or you know, presence is probably a good word, so I'm going to steal that from you now. Um, yeah. that, that was a telling aspect of being able to, you know, frame are they a player that can go on with this because it, it was how they inject themselves in the session. It was what they did when it's before it started, how they warmed up. Um, it wasn't just, just because the coach says, like, let's go start doing this. I mean, they, they were ready to go and they were invested in the yeah. session. So I think that's a good point. Yeah. I think for coaches, uh, an acronym we use called So Change It. Um, and I think for coaches, that's probably the most important thing you need to understand. Uh, the art of coaching is your ability to um, see that something's not working and be able to change it to make it work. Um, and, you know, often you plan a session, someone's injured, someone's not available. Um, so you have to be able to think on your feet and go, okay, how do, how do, I, how do I get out of this outcome, um, the purpose of tonight's session? Um, and the ability to change it, uh, to start an exercise and go, okay, I need to make it a little bit bigger or I need to drop the numbers off or any of those little aspects is, is the real art of coaching for mine. <clears throat> I mean, just on that, I mean, some self-reflection I did on myself last year was around always going in going, okay, we have six midfields, so particularly around, you know, the country camps, we have, we have some more larger number of players to work with, but it was always, we kept working on the same three. And then when it came to game time, it was, make, you know, early on we realised that we weren't providing the same opportunity for those players to, one, showcase what they have, but also you know, put them in this training environment where they were the, the team that were being worked on. So I had to concentrate on ensuring that, you know, I followed through on that. And that was something I got my assistants to double check on just so that we didn't get to the end of the session and go, oh, you know what, we forgot to change the players or we forgot to change the focus on who we were coaching. Yeah. Yeah. What, what things similar to that have, have you developed in the, in the past two years, do you think, as a, as a coach or conscious thought process have you gone through about I need to uh, you know, concentrate on? Okay, I think um, understanding of the team and the individuals. Uh, some sessions you're focused on your midfielders and that's very boring for your defenders or strikers, but you need to find a way to engage them as well. Um, and also being, especially working with the kids more so than the senior team, um, making sure everyone's involved. Um, it's very easy in sessions and set up. Um, for players to drift out of something or to not be involved or to not be getting touches, but you have to be aware of that. You need to be watching everyone and knowing um, who's involved. Um, the changing it, moving players into positions is really important. So if you've got someone who's drifted out, okay, can you bring them in and put them into a position where they can't drift out? Senior players, experience, especially experienced senior players, uh, they know how to go and hide when they feel like it. Yeah, but that's just what they do. Uh, we worked hard before, so you set up this 5v3, but I know where I can go and hide. And, and just being aware of when the, the experienced senior players are doing that. Um, but also staying focused on the purpose. You know, what are we working on tonight? Um, if we're working on the midfielders, well, that's the midfielders. It's not one or two midfielders. Um, if we need to do something on an individual, that's okay. We can set something up to do that but understanding that that's what we're doing and making sure that the team and the players understand that for whatever reason, John's crossing's been poor for the last two weeks. 
So we're going to set up a practice that allows him to get as many crosses in as he can. Okay. Love it. Well, obviously, we appreciate your time with us, Babs. Just one last little question we've been asking um, everyone that's sort of come on with us. We've got a little bit of a debate and everyone's got their opinion and we don't, there's exactly a right or wrong answer, but um, who, which side are you on between the Messi and Ronaldo? <laughs> Kyle, you're wrong. <laughs> and I'll just I'll just put it this way. I'll put it this way. Um, you know, if you're a real footballer and you love football, that's not even a question um, because uh, Messi's a genuine footballer. Uh, Ronaldo's a freak athlete and he can do things that other players can't do. Um, but as far as uh, football and genuine footballing, Ronaldo can't see what. Messi can see he can't make the passes that Messi can make um, and I think for me and it's just it's not even a contest I love Ronaldo and you know um, as an out and out striker I think he's incredible and like I said I think he's one of the he's a freak of an athlete probably that one of the best there's ever been in the game uh, but Messi's a freak of a football mind I guess we'll have to Love go it. tell Jacob Tratt he's not a footballer then. <laughs> <laughs> well, he may not be. He may just be a hard man. And, and it's interesting, um, teams have to have a balance. Um, you know, um, teams have to, you know, if Ferns, we had this conversation about if you're having a midfield, you need a ball winner in there. So you need that hard man in there. There's bread and butter players. All right. If you're going to have a creative number 10, um, who gets on the ball and hits killer passes like an Ozil, and there's a lot of, controversy around this at the moment saying the Ozil type player is being um, phased out of the game you need a six and eight to do the work behind him to give him the freedom to go where he needs to be and to use that football brain if you don't have that balance could you you imagine Vieira and Ozil in the same team yeah phenomenal you know if if Vieira is winning the ball and passing it to Ozil and then Ozil's making his passes from there then that's that's phenomenal with Henri and Burkamp up front um, yeah, that's great football. But, and that's, that's the thing, trying to get a balance across the park. You can't just have all Ozils and you can't just have all hard men. Um, but the interesting thing, and this is where we get into, and the reason we even have a conversation about Messi and um, Ronaldo is it is an athletic game. You know, you've still got to be an athlete if you're going to be a footballer, particularly if you want to go high in the game. Because um, when you go high, everyone's got skill. That's fine. They can all pass a ball as good as the next guy. They can all shoot as next guy. And then it comes down to your athleticism. Are you a good athlete as well? If you're not a good athlete and you can't be where you need to be, yeah, there's no point being able to think about it. Yeah, if you can't make that run. So it's it's a combination of getting the balance between being an athlete and being a footballer. Excellent. Well, thanks for your time today, Michael. We certainly appreciate taking the time off from your day off to uh, come and talk to us and hopefully people out there will appreciate the great insights you've been able to uh, provide with us. So good luck when football restarts eventually. Um, Stay safe and thanks very much. Thanks for having me guys. Thanks Babs. Cheers Babs.